Howdy ho, everybody. Still green grass. <laughs> Still green grass. Hello, everybody. Man, that first ep- part one with Karen, it's open. Wow. I cannot believe I stumbled across someone who's one of my good friends' sister. And, man, just unbelievable wealth of information. Karen, part one was excellent. I am absolutely excited, but Bob and I were sitting here chatting, and we realized that Miss Tobin, who has done so many different things in the industry, she has wrote programs, she is involved with certification, she's involved with state legislatures, she's been to D.C., she has been all over this country talking about the cannabis plant, which we all love. She has a tie-dye shirt on. She's she almost needs studio. to clone herself because she's so busy. In Holy all smokes. This. Okay, so the tie-dye shirt. I got to get, I got a little, we got an airplane. We got a Grateful Dead. We got the VW van with, instead of the VW, with the little lightning bolt in the front. We got, oh, it's a dead shirt. All I, I just want you to know that I once had that t-shirt. I stole it from a friend of yours, Ray Lehner, um, <laughs> a long, long time ago. And it was, uh. Used for many, many years after that. I can't wait till Ray texts me after he listens to this episode and goes, what? <laughs> He's going to want his shirt back. It's, it's a good gone. shirt. It's, it, it has been worn to death. I love it. Those it's are the best. Like, the yeah. t-shirts that are all full of holes and memories. It's good. Good stuff. Yep. So for those of you that didn't listen to episode one, go back. Download it quickly. It's a short one. It was a nice intro because this one now we're going to dive deep into what made Karen and gave her this knowledge that has my head spinning right now. I'm in so many different directions. We talk about the GMP. We're talking about state. We're talking about different departments that monitor cannabis. But you started here in Rochester, New York, and you're a soccer mom. Mm. You have two children. Mm-hmm. But yet you're spending a lot of time out west. It's tough. Um it's been a lot. It's been a, it's been a long five years, I would say. Um, and not all of it easy and not all of it with confident decisions. It was a decision for our family. Like I said, my husband thought I was absolutely insane. Um, but I'm a, I'm a little bit of a different person, I like to think. Um, I'm a little more unique and, and I've always worked differently within my career and my profession. And I was at a place that I was actually kind of bored I was good. Most people would have been happy where they were. I was happy. I was thankful, but I was bored. That didn't work for me. And so the cannabis, you know, industry started popping up. Like I said earlier, my background was in regulatory compliance, mostly in financial services, but similar to what was going to be happening. So I decided to take the jump and it was a jump. Um, I had a business partner, we put our heads down, and we just started doing research. Him and I had worked previously together and built some amazing technology platforms that facilitated regulations within that financial services world, and we did really well at it. So we applied the same methods to this endeavor. It required us to get on the ground and meet with people and figure this out. Five years ago, this was not a normal CNN headline like it is today. Your, your podcast wasn't here. Um, and it was definitely way more taboo. So it required a lot of heads down work. And I did that for a year while I continued my full-time job. So I technically had two full-time jobs at the same time. And that soccer mom and also coached that soccer as well for nine years. 
after about a year of that, doing all of our research, spending time on the ground in states that were legal. And when I say spend time on the ground, we just hopped on a plane, went to the state and got on the ground. We went and met with dispensary owners. We met, went and met with manufacturers. We went and knocked on doors. We talked to people. Then we got to talk to other people. Then we got to learn about the regulations that what they were writing, help them write those regulations. Um, it was a lot, a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun too. It was a lot of fun. So I traveled all over the US. I have every medallion from every airline I think that exists right now. I think I don't think there's one that I don't have. Um, and, and it's been enjoyable, but it's also been exhausting. You know, I've been to Oregon, Colorado, Washington, California, Florida, Texas. I think there's only four states left, actually, that I have not been to. And one of them is Alaska, and I'm a little bit upset about it. I think I got to get it. I got to get there in the next 12 months. So if anyone in Alaska is listening, and you think it would be good for me to come up there, let us know because I really do want to come up there and check it out. We did have a download in Alaska recently, so I would love to reach out to whoever was up there listening. I hope they liked it. And please reach out to Hempathletics on our Instagram and send us a message because we would love to get... I want to be up in Alaska too. So I just watched a big free riding ski video recently and I want to go to Alaska, do a little hell skiing or something. I want to hit some of the lines up there on the glaciers and, and see it from that perspective. I'd like to see the, the wildlife up there from that perspective. So I would love to go to Alaska. Let's go. We'll go together. I would love to. Yeah. Are you kidding me? We'd take that cannabis, the cannabis. Let's world. do the podcast up there. Oh, are you? Oh, that'd be the best. Could you imagine? 2022, I believe we're going on a cruise to Alaska. Oh, maybe we can tie in a cruise with maybe a little ski adventure on the side. I like it. I, I like think it. we're going to have to go sooner than that. So you, I have, I have so when things, you go I back, thing, I have things planned in the middle. You do. <laughs> I have to go to uh, California, and then I have to go back to Yellowstone. So I, I love Yellow. Where are you going in California? Uh, we're flying into San Francisco, and then we're going up to the Redwoods, and then we're going to Yosemite, and probably either Sequoia or Kings Canyon. I'm not quite sure. Okay, all beautiful places. Yeah. So I spend a lot. Well, you know. After the years and years of being on the ground through all of those states, through very muddy waters and taboo conversations, uncomfortable conversations, and a lot of travel, and a lot of uh, out-of-pocket expenses as well. It, you know, wasn't always in the position that will, you know, I'm in a better position in this industry now that I was in the beginning. Um, there were some days that I definitely questioned my choice. You know, it's just not me. It's me and my husband and my kids and my dog. That's, that's a big deal. Um, but I believed in the industry. So a lot of work, all of those states flying all around, shelling out a shit ton of money. And it's finally started to come to fruition. We were able to put together something that was truly beneficial to the industry and a little bit profitable. The profitability was okay, but it was the knowledge. It was the knowledge that we were able to learn over those three years and hopefully also contribute. I hope that we were able to leave our mark and contribute as well to all of those people that we worked with throughout that process. And, you know, my hope was, and I knew I'd have to go out West. I knew I'd have to spend a lot of time away from my family. Um, but my hope was that I could go out there. I could learn all this. I could do all of that. And then, you know, in a couple of years, bring it back to the East Coast. That was my plan. Um, and now the East Coast is moving and shaking a little bit. 
it's not quite where it needs to be. I mean, the hemp in, the hemp side of it is doing well, um, you know, and I expect them to do well as long as the regulations let them succeed. You know, that this harvest coming up is going to be under a new set of regulations for 2020, and we'll see how that shakes out. But that was my goal um, long term. And I also spent some time in Canada, did some work up there as well, um, which was unique. They, you know, jumped the gun on us. We all watched the Canadian market um, and what they've done and not been able to do. They're also encountering their own hurdles and struggles. I mean, if you look at some of the stocks up there for some of the companies are struggling right now. And I think there's going to be some continued struggles, like I said earlier, for these companies over the next couple of years as we, you know, start to fine tune the supply chain and the standards and the regulations. So I want to talk about Canada a little bit before you continue forward. Mm-hmm. So Canada, I met a, a gentleman and I've seen someone else talk from Canada, Ruben uh, Stone. He's from Canada Stone Farms. Um, they uh, deal with Canadian hemp, the fiber side of it. He, he does a lot with fiber. Um, so a lot of people realize Canada exports a lot of fiber. They, they do a lot with the hemp plant, not CBD specifically. Um, and they really only have a certain range in their country where they can grow CBD. Um, in the southern uh, Ontario area, I believe that it's basically from Toronto, I think he said, down to Detroit, basically. There's a swath there. But other than that, they, can, they can't really grow uh, the good quality strains up north because it's just too far north. Um, so they have challenges up there as far as how much actually acreage they have to actually grow on and learn from. What what what, what is it that you um, brought to Canada or learned from it going up there? Because it's a different ball game up there because of the climate. Yeah, it definitely. I would say, um, especially with the hemp arm, you'll you'll see right now a lot of Canadian companies are looking to partner with U.S. hemp companies um, for two reasons: one, for profitability and the market share, and then for the second reason is just what you said, uh, the climate and and things of that nature. No pun intended. <laughs> You don't do so much with this plant, Mother Nature. I mean, but you can't grow everything in greenhouses because it's just too a little too costly, right? It's I mean. a, it's very costly. It's very costly, and for the hemp sector right now, I don't think that that profit margin is there. So there's some validity to that. But as far as Canada and bringing them online and helping, you know, where my focus was was all of the regulatory compliance reporting that was required. That's what the platform and technology did. So it immersed me in everything that needed to be done. Believe it or not, in some of these states, there's like 80 to 100 different pieces of information that have to be reported to that state as the cannabis plant moves throughout the supply chain. It is truly track seed to sale. And all 80 steps in between, if you can even believe there are that many, but the state has imposed that many. So it was very burdensome for these folks as well, and places in Canada to be able to facilitate this with the rest of their businesses, um, their business needs. So Canada was kind of the same as the U.S. They kind of figured out the regulations, had to bring it online. They did it similar to us. Obviously, their country structure is a little bit different, but all of the provinces were able to decide what they wanted to do. And a lot of them, you know, made it a government entity that was required to facilitate and distribute this product, right? You'll see right now that some of them, I can't remember which one, just recently reversed that. And now they're going to let it go to the public market because they can't handle it anymore. Mm -hmm. They're not made for that. Truly, right? So everyone's still figuring it out. Everyone really is. And it's happening across across the globe. I mean, you look at the European Union. They're ready. You talk about exports. Canada's just not exporting fiber. 
they're exporting a lot of cannabis as well. Um, Europe's interesting though. Uh, market, like for instance, I believe the CBD market, you can only send isolate to England, for instance. Yeah, it's a real it's a real dicey situation right now. Isolate is the easiest thing because it's the purest form, right? Um, so exports, imports, there there's a lot that goes into all of this, um, and the regulations and the laws attached to each piece of the supply chain, and and it's a lot to manage. But the European Union, yes, isolate is where it is right now. But you look at other countries, you know, poor Australia. Oh. Australia was on, you know, I just, it's even hard to say Australia, isn't I, it? Man. Yeah, it is for me because when I hear about all the devastation that they're currently going through, it's just, it breaks my heart. I'm glad we stopped on a, on a nice current event like this because I just had a, like I said, your niece was there uh, and she has friends there. Mm -hmm. uh, and she told me two days ago when I spoke to her that she was FaceTiming a friend of hers and she could see the smog over, over the city where her friend was. Uh, and really, if you think about that, that means you need to walk out with a mask. Just think about your life like that, survival mode. And that whole country right now is, uh, what, the size of West Virginia is on fire? I think it's two Maryland's was, or it, it's, it's too much. And it was, it's just, that's tough. So all of my thoughts and prayers and everything to everyone out there, I just, and the animals, I cannot, it's heart-wrenching. But they were, they were on the path to cannabis legalization and looked at, and still are. I mean, they will recover from this as all of our, you know, everyone does um, th through time and assistance and, and all of that, but they, they're on the right path as well. Um, and we're going to continue to see this. It's, it's inevitable. There will be full global legalization, but it will take time and it will happen in bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. We spoke to Bucky Bakes. He talked about the Asian markets. Uh, have you had any experience with the Asian markets? And from what I've seen now through experience and through, through Bucky is that they're a little behind on the CBD market. Um, they actually want maybe American-based companies. Uh, they want to reverse engineer our products. I'm sure that's what they're thinking right now because that's how Asia works. But um, what's your experience with the Asian markets? What have you seen? So I think to a certain extent, I've seen that as well. Um, I think that there's a certain sense of security when something is made in the USA, not just to us. You know, we look for it, but I think people outside of this country look for it for a different reason. And in an industry that is so brand new, it brings them a sense of security. Now, knowing what's going on inside of this country, you know, we're still figuring it out as well. Um, the Asian market is interesting. Um, they know that there's opportunity here and they don't like to let opportunity go by the wayside. I think that they will become a huge exporter of fiber and biomass in whatever form the industry decides it needs to be in and that their product meets the standards of 100%. Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought that piece up too. Uh, because there is so many different ways right now. People are trying to take advantage of the biomass. Um, they're trying to make uh, hempcrete. They're trying to, um, ooh, I found out that Danny Fontaine, who I mentioned in a previous episode, uh, do you know her and her company? Yeah, I've, you, you've had, yeah right? familiar. Have yes. you heard what her, they're doing at Google, with Google New York? No, tell me. This is great. So her, one of her business partners was at this event, the Morrisville Hemp Brown Table, put on by SUNY Morrisville. I will give that plug every time since it is my alma mater and I'm proud as hell that I was there. It's my brother's as well. 
Yes, both it is. are two that's of right. my brothers, actually. Kurt, two that's of right. them. Kurt was there. He, we overlapped a, uh, a year there, and I actually met Kurt's wife, Kara, briefly because she was friends with the guys that lived right next door to me in West Hall. How about that for a story? Fantastic. And then she ends up moving right across the street from me for 18 years. Much later. <laughs> so crazy. I remember her as the little googly-eyed girl. Yeah, that's eyes. her. <laughs> big great. Eyes. She's a great person. I love her. Anyways, go go to these distractions. Um, so as I lose my train of thought, so so we're there. We're there at the conference. What were we just talking about? We're talking about exports <laughs> and hemp creek okay, and so, all the so, um, Google ex, New York. So the Google New York, they want they have a pod, twenty million dollars. They want to create a pod to put with Google because Google. Guess what? The biggest issue is with Google. The actual headquarters in New York City is waste, mm. food waste and the waste from food. Um, so they're trying to come up with a way to recycle that waste to make it less costly for them to get rid of because getting rid of waste in cities is like the worst, hardest, most expensive thing to do. Um, so I'm just looking up right now because I want to list the exact products that they intend to pull out of this waste. So what they're going to do is um, they want to put a two project they're going to do two sites, one in, one at Google New York and one in California. And they, it's going to be this big pod they kept referring to. So they're going to put canvas waste into it with food waste and the, the, the waste packaging all into this big pod. And then what it will produce is wood vinegar, carbon, D7 diesel, and gra- graphene. Hmm. I love it. There's a lot. So there's a lot of innovation happening. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And that's kind of back to that research aspect, right? So much that we can do with this that we we don't even know about yet from a medical perspective, but then from a textile perspective. You know, hemp can pretty much replace poor Gary, my husband, right? He's a he's an engineer in the plastics world. And I hate to tell him that uh, this plant can pretty much put you out of a job, thankfully. Oh, man. Yeah, people realize. Yeah, that's what people realize. I'm so glad you brought it up. I mean, you could do 3D printing with, with hemp uh, materials now. Like You can pretty much do anything. So, you know, throughout the supply chain and when you are manufacturing products, you also, as a hemp and cannabis industry, we do create waste. There is waste output, but... I don't think it's going to be around for long. So we're actually working with two different companies that are taking the waste of the biomass once it's gone through all of its processes for extraction or whatever it is that's happening to it to get all of those great um, molecules out of there. There is you know, plant matter that is left over. And we're working with a company that is taking that plant matter and turning it into cutlery. And they're getting rid of plastic silverware. And cutlery. And that's biodegradable? That is biodegradable. So if somebody wants to save the turtles, make a hemp straw. First person that makes a hemp straw, I feel will not only really help um, our world from a pollution standpoint, but it'll help this industry because it puts it in the hands of people that are sitting at diners across the country right now that are like my mother that are still avid voters in this country, that still might have a certain connotation of this plant, whether it has 0.3% THC in it or not. And that puts it into a little bit more of a form that they can accept and understand. So I think it'll do two things. And I don't think we're far away from it. I think somebody's got it. That's a great idea. Not to mention biofuels. 
oh, biofuels. Yeah. yeah, you can take the biomass waste, you can turn it into pellets, you can put it in an incinerator. And what you could technically do is you could become full circle with your facility. You could power your facility off your generated waste. And I think that we will see that happen as well. But that brings up the point of how many different facets and opportunities there are in this industry, not just for innovation, but for employment, for jobs, for progression. You know, we talked about me and you wanted to fill in the gaps, right? So I jumped in working two full-time jobs like a crazy person, not knowing what I'm doing, left the other one, dumped a lot of money, worked really hard, kept my head down, but now I'm on the other side. And I will tell you that it's not just fun now, but I do I do make a decent living as well. And I'm okay with that. Um but it's taken a long time. But I'm going to tell you what, some girl from Western New York doesn't have this opportunity in any other industry. It's not there, but it is here for anyone. I don't care if you're an electrician, you work in construction, you're an engineer, you do this, you do marketing, you do sales, you want to open a store. Hey, you're a hairdresser. I bet they would love some CBD shampoo in your salon. There are opportunities left, right, and center in this industry like there's never been before. What was your first break? What do you mean? Like, <laughs> I haven't even heard, like, you keep saying technology. So so uh, I'm imagining you created a platform. I did. Okay. Right? So, yeah, t- created the platform, uh, went out, you know, sold it, made it a little bit profitable, oh, sold it to our clients and customers, whatever. And then we were able to... Um, it was a seed to sale type platform. It was. It facilitated all the compliance. It took all the pieces of the puzzle. And for any of you tech people out there, we created this beautiful piece of middleware that was a unified API that developers could just plug and play. We took about a year of development off of any software company that wanted to jump into the space, took a year off of their development timeframe and the cost for that. So we also increased their time to market. But then I was done with that. I got bored again. Did it. Over. Here you go. This is for sale. Anyone want to buy this? And somebody took it. So now I needed to decide what I wanted to do. He talked about a break. There's no break. I don't take breaks. Um, and then, you know, I immediately, my phone was ringing with people looking for my help, um, in all facets of the industry. So I have done everything from tech compliance to top to bottom facility to review, to certification implementation, to working with certain agencies and organizations to teach them. I mean, I have sat in a room of law enforcement teaching them about cannabis. If you think I wasn't questioning how the hell this has happened at that moment, because I was, but it was was very unique. Was it intimidating as well? I mean, you're talking to the law about a product that is illegal. They wanted to learn. So I would say it was weird. It was weird, but I wasn't as intimidated because I was the expert, right? I knew what I was talking about, but the whole moments of all of them sitting there in their uniforms, and I'm up here talking to them about cannabis. My stomach wasn't not. It's in, getting in knots a little bit right now. So I guess it's answering your question. <laughs> yeah. It's making me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> because because why? Because you don't know what the reaction to you is going to be. Is that what, I mean? No, you, because you, you, my DNA is trained that you don't talk to the police or someone in uniform about this. What? This is not normal. You know, so even someone that's been immersed in the industry for this long still has those moments as well. I love it. 
it, it was, you know, it's not that you run from that. You don't get up on a microphone and start talking to right, him about exactly. it. Yeah. Who, I, I is do. anyone going to follow me out of here? They, they are, <laughs> they are exactly. the authority. They, they are the ones that are implementing the law. And you're basically telling them, this is a product, even though it's illegal, I'm going to educate you about it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's illegal. And you, yeah, yeah. And I've ran from you because it is for the last 20 years. <laughs> right. um, but now they know that they need to learn about it, right? Because law enforcement does have to be involved in this. You know, we still have, as consumers, have a responsibility to be smart consumers as well. Um, there are things that we need to do, but they don't, you know, it's hard for them because they've been equally trained that this is illegal, Right. We were probably all having a moment in that room. Yeah, because we were all brought up in the same, you know, generation of the the same norms that were given to us by our parents. So now Mm -hmm. we're all just looking at it from our perspectives. Yeah. But then, you know, you look at it in the eyes of my children and my 10 year old son. I mean, he, he watches the stock market. He watches cannabis stocks on the stock market. That's where we're at right now. Um, so it's it's definitely, I, I've had some unique experiences. I have no regrets. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Some of it has been so unbelievably scary and some of it's been so overwhelming and rewarding, right? You know, through my travels even, just so happens I happen to be in Southern California when not one, but two earthquakes decided to uh to come up to the surface after 20 years. So that was interesting. I also, you know, unfortunately were there in experience, but these are life experiences, um, wildfires and a lot of them, you know, you talk about the smoke in, in Australia and what I, same thing in California. Right. Um, so that was unique for me. I'm Western New York girl. We get snow. We don't, the earth doesn't rattle. No fires. Yeah. An earthquake is something you definitely do not forget. It it's, I was sitting by the pool at the hotel. We had some aftershocks. This was after the first one. So I was sitting by the pool on a Friday by the hotel. I don't really drink. I'm not really a drinker. I decided to have a beer. The ground started shaking a little bit. I'm like, I only had one beer. Only one is what I'm thinking. But maybe it's just an aftershock. And it wasn't stopping. And then the pool, the water started coming out of the pool. Nobody was in the pool. It was just me. And then all the people started running out of the building. And then I was like, okay, okay, this one's not stopping. I'm going to get away from the building as well. I'll tell you, it's one of the weirdest feelings I've ever felt in my entire life. And the the earth actually grumbles. Right. Sounds like thunder under your feet. It's like it's deep, deep down in the bellows of the earth and it's rising up forward into you. And then you're like... I don't know what that is, but it does not sound natural. It does not sound natural, and you're trying to walk, but you're completely off balance. It was, it was, it was a little bit horrifying. But these are all of life's experiences. They are just as equally as sleeping on the floor of the Chicago airport. Same thing. <laughs> oh, okay, well, I've been there. Can't chat. I've, I've can't, been there. Can't, yeah, I can't relate to that one. No, <laughs> I've, I have slept on the floor of the Chicago airport before. That is, that is where I have. That's, That's what this industry requires. I mean, it does. It requires a commitment. You do have to put your heads down. And there are a lot of people out there in this industry doing this. It's not just me at all. There are people out there working much harder than I am. Um, and and thankfully, because they inspire me every day as well, because it's not easy. It's not easy. Some days I just want to, you know, maybe I want to go back to something more traditional, but I would get bored after two days. And that's because this industry is changing so often and, and it keeps it lively. 
um, and to keep your platform up to speed, I'm sure you have. To, there's always little nuances you have to. Yeah, well, uh, thankfully, I don't have to do that anymore. The the new owner of that platform does. Um, oh, you sold it off. Yeah, yeah, oh, we yeah. were done. Good girl. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but, you know, the, the last two years, two and a half years now of doing other things as far as consulting, you know, um, having different positions in different companies, whether it's an advisory board, whether it's an executive position, you know, I've been behind licensed operators, like I said, pretty much across the state. Um, and it's, it's good work that's being done out there. It truly is. And they're good people. And, you know, I hope I really hope a lot of them make it, but unfortunately, I know some of them won't. And that's and the, and they know that too. It's risk versus reward, and there's a lot of people out there taking risks right now to build this industry. So you've been out in California. Um, we have periphery mentioned um, an issue with a pesticide out there. Mm. Um, can you, since you're out there in, in, in the heart of the industry, can you explain a little bit about what happened and 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 maybe educate me a little bit more on 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 what happened? Like a pesticide was allowed, and then at the end, they it, it caused a little shortage out there of. of well, they changed herd. their testing requirements. So the way that they implemented in every state does this completely different. Um, as far as when they bring their state online from a rec position um, or a medical position, actually South Dakota, I think, is the first state in 2020 that has both medical and rec on the bill at the same time. Every other state has done it um, in increments, right? One than the other. But California, um, when they implemented, they implemented in stages with different levels of regulatory requirements to try and ease the licensed operators into the process. And one of those incremental changes was within testing requirements. There was category one testing, which was like five things, category two testing, and then category three testing. And when the, the state moved from a cat two to a cat three, as they call it on the street, um, a lot of product wasn't wasn't hitting the mark, wasn't passing um, because it was a lot more stringent. You know, the testing on cannabis is more stringent than the testing on the blueberries at the market. Yes, it is. Yep. And, you know, do I think that should things be tested the way I think I think the food industry could learn a little bit about what the cannabis industry is doing um, because food safety is important. The U.S. doesn't take it, um, I think, as important as most countries do out there, we're a little bit more lax, unfortunately, but with cannabis, we're not. So to answer your question, it was a new level of testing that was, you know, 60 different chemicals and different fungicides and all different types of things, including moisture content, everything. Um, and then some of the product just wasn't hitting the mark. It wasn't. So it created a shortage. What cause prices to spike. But when you have product that's not going to hit the regulatory mark, it's usually not going to disappear totally, right? So there's been a lot of bumps and hurdles and things like that, and there will continue to be, but I think that we'll get there. We'll get there. I'm excited. I think it is going in the right direction. In the conference at Morrisville uh, that I attended, one of the big topics at the end of the conference was creating an organization within New York that groups everybody together. Um, maybe not mm -hmm. a cooperative necessarily, but something along those lines. Um, maybe using the New York Hemp Industries Association chapter uh, as a basis, kind of like Kentucky does. So Kentucky, the, the 
chapter down there of the HIA in Kentucky is very strong and you maybe can speak to that because I'm sure you've been down there. Um, but uh, so finding some kind of organization similar to like a New York Apple Growers Association mm-hmm. where, where it's not necessarily political uh, in nature, but you know, there's always going to be a piece of it, but more a collaboration of ideas and equipment and um, to solve answers amongst the processors and growers in the state. I thought it was yeah. really refreshing. Um, I guess, do you, what's your opinion on that now that you've heard me say that, number one? And number two, um, is there any other state that has an association similar to that? Or is really that Kentucky model, the HIA chapter there, what they say? Um, I think most states have something similar to that. And the reason they do is because it works. And you need it. It takes a village in this industry. Like I said earlier, you need to even be friends with your competitors a little bit um, because there really, there really is enough to go around, but you need to bring those heads together. You need to have everyone in a room. This isn't a traditional legacy industry. We don't have traditional even marketing yet. You know, it's very hard um, to get people together unless it's from an, like an association standpoint or a conference like yours at Morrisville. MJ BizCon, all of the NCIA events, National Cannabis Industry Association that I've been a, a part of for a long time. And that's when I started doing, um, oh yeah, we didn't. So speaking, I've also done tons of panels across the country, um, speaking at many events about regulatory changes. I've done speaking events in San Jose, all the way back to Boston and backwards again. Um, I've done them across the state and that's because those are the opportunities that brings those people together to learn and talk about this. You know, no one can truly be too much of an expert in this industry because it's all brand new, right? So I think it's important that they do that for this state because other states are doing it because it works. It's refreshing that um, processors and growers can really have those relationships because you've heard a lot of bad um, uh, contracts, people not adhering mm-hmm. to contracts. And now when there's all this biomass out there and less processors, processors are trying to get, you know, uh, if they're cheap on the dollar, um, what would you advice would you to get seeing that side of it for farmers as far as the conversations they should have with processors that they could be more successful for everybody? Yeah, it definitely needs to be a conversation and it needs to be a partnership because one's not going to work without out the other. So you're going to need to have biomass to create your product to take it to market. What that business relationship looks like is changing by the minute. It changes, you know, we, you know, in the beginning of the harvest season, and we saw this across the country, um, everyone was paying outright, they were paying price per point. And we saw that price per point start to go down, right? And so processors spent by money on biomass in the beginning of the harvest season. And then, you know, 60 days later, some of them were like, holy shit, I can't believe I paid that 60 days ago. But that's, that's a marketplace. Man, that's part of the ride, right? Isolate the price of isolate. Oh, man, the price of isolate's killer right now. You can almost find it for $1,100 a kilo right now. And it used to be $8,000 a kilo. It's tough. It's tough. But, you know, well, same thing with CBG, right? And then the next molecule that we haven't discovered yet, it will always be a moving goalpost. But if you have the right applied sciences in place, which there's a few out there, I don't know if you're going to run your HPLC, if you're going to run rotochrome, or you're going to run some scientific thing that we haven't even talked about yet. Um, As long as you have the ability to fragment and separate those molecules, I think you'll be in a good position. Um, What were we talking about before that? See, this happens to me too, because I get too deep. 
No, we get too I love far? the tangents. Bob, is there any tangents so far that Bob's got to keep us out of our tangents? No, he's the man. He, he's like, I'm researching right now. Leave me alone. <laughs> no, all right, oh, so, processors and growers. Yeah, exactly. You're talking about business. So, yeah, what those business really so right? So, they're paying p- price per point. In the beginning of the season, now you see it's mostly tolling agreements. And if for those of you out there that don't know what this means, tolling agreements. So it means I'm going to take a thousand pounds of this fantastic biomass, compliant biomass, by the way, under 0.3% THC. Depending on what state. So New York State, for instance, and they reinforced that um, this week at the Morrisville event that they only looked at the Delta 9s, not the THCA, which can convert over, which could be over 0.3%. Bah, 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 bah. I, love, I love your look. She's laughing over here. Now make it a little bit of a face because we'll get to that. I'll, I'll get to that. You write that down, Bob, because we're going back to that one. Um, but, but the tolling, tolling, what that means from a business structure is it means I take a thousand pounds of my compliant biomass to a processor. They're going to turn it into a product. Maybe it's isolates and whatever product that is produced from those thousand pounds, we split it. And the farmer goes off with their, let's say, whatever, 10 kilos. No one check my numbers here on yield because I'm just coming up with stuff. They take their 10 kilos. I keep my 10 kilos as payment. And then hopefully I can sell it. And then hopefully that farmer can sell it. Well, most farmers aren't looking into selling stuff like that, especially in this market. Um, So unfortunately, some farmers now are sitting on some product. Uh, that they don't know how to get rid of, which is technically their payments. But so are the processors. Processors are, you know, having the same struggles because, like you said, the the, the price is going down right now. Um, and it's not just going down for isolate. It's going down for broad spectrum. It's going down for full spectrum. It's, you know, T-free. T-free was the golden child for a while. It's not going to be anymore. It'll all be on white papers, I think, in the next 90 days. It will. There will be a lot of open source, I think, here from a scientific standpoint. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. But those, you're going to have to work together no matter what over the next couple of years. And, and we have to learn from previous years and do it better. So farmers that are out there, you're really going to have to look at what your profit margins are. Would it really cost you to grow your crop and understand what you need to get back out of it before you have that conversation with a processor? Right now, the supply and demand is not equal. <laughs> but where? You're right. It probably is segmented. Yeah. You know, yep. where is it not equal? Because I'll, I'll be honest, the West Coast and the East Coast are two different worlds. They really, really are. I mean, we've talked about prices offline a little bit. Yeah, so, so let's get to that now. That's a great topic to get to now. Uh, no, first goes to go hot plants. USDA ruling. Oh, USDA ruling. Okay, so 2020 will be the first crop that is um, cultivated under the first true sets of federal regulations for this industry, right? Either side. We know THC. It's so funny. It's the same gosh darn plant, just as if it's higher than 0.3 or not. But truly, scientifically, it is the same cannabis plant. Anyways, it's like if the rose is pink, it's legal. If it gets to red, it's illegal. That's the... uh, that's usually the analogy I, I use for analogy. people because I've never heard that before. I it, it makes you right. That's pretty much what it is. Okay. Red roses are illegal. So, 
So 0.3%, the USDA came out with their set of regulations as was required under the 2018 Farm Bill. And those regulations will be set forth for upcoming harvest season. In those regulations, they do outline 0.3% Delta 9 and other THC molecules. So it's a very interesting wording. Prior to that, for the 2014 Farm Bill, it specifically only referenced Delta 9 because that was the only one we knew about. When something's a federally illegal control, you know, controlled substance, you can't uh, put a lot of research into it. And, and when you do, your biomass is coming out of the uh, University of Mississippi, which I don't know anyone that would smoke that. <laughs> Another wiggle room. The one place in this country, University of Mississippi, I keep hearing such negative things about it and the bad strains. And you would think that the one research institute in this country that's been allowed to do this would be like the primoest ever would be coming joke. out of there. Yeah, you've brought it up before. Yeah, like yeah. it's disgusting. It's a joke. It's like a, it's an industry joke at this point. I'm sorry, University of Mississippi. It's probably not what you signed up for, but and I get all the legalities of it, but we can do better and I think we will do better so as an industry. That's more like a sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. No, that's a good way to put it. Okay, so, <laughs> so on the USD ruling, um, Tim Sweeney from Ag and Markets was at SUNY Morrisville. I want to make sure I had his name correct. Uh, and one of the things he said, and this is a direct statement from Ag and Markets, is uh, about the USDA, and it's currently open comment period right now. So on all the yes. things she started to touch on, and she'll, I'm sure she'll expound a little bit more after I make this point, um, is that the USDA is an open comment section. It was originally, I think, for 60 days. They have extended it now. Um, and this is directly from Ag and Markets in New York, Tim Sweeney. This is not for me. Um, it, the, uh, quote, unquote, uh, it is troubling to Ag and Mar New York Ag and Markets um, and we are encouraging everybody to um, submit their comments uh, on the testing aspect of it, on the destruction of plants, and on the handling of these plants, um, because they don't agree with everything the USDA is putting out right now. So this is New York Ag and Markets actually saying, let's go against USDA. We need to get this right. I was very impressed by that. And then he had, there was a second gentleman in the room as well from Ag and Markets. He never really introduced himself, so I don't want to say his name. I believe it's Scott Perry, but I'm not quite sure. Um, and he chimed in from his side seat to validate that point. Um, so I'll let you expand now on the USDA and kind of um, what they were talking about. We, we went into detail with um, Aiden Wooshness of the New York chapter, Hemp Industries chapter president. So, but from your perspective. Okay, from my perspective, one, it's a good thing. We have regulations, okay? So that's, that's a positive thing. Um, now, are the regulations perfect? No. No, they're not. And again, it goes back to these legislators not necessarily being subject matter experts, but I'll tell you it's a lot better now than it was years ago because there are all of these associations available as tools and, and they do work pretty well together. So I'm glad to hear that Egg and Markets was there and that they were a vocal part of this because they are an intricate part of the supply chain. Like I said before, I had a port authority, you know, try to quarantine 25,000 pounds of hemp. It's important. So... 0.3% THC for, for, for cannabis growers or hemp growers, this is new for them. You're talking about a tenth of a percentage of a certain piece of a plant. And this plant is also very unique. It is not, you know... It is not something that can be taken lightly when you do have to grow and cultivate. There's a lot of, of applied sciences that have to go into place. The USDA did add a caveat to the 0.3%, and they allow for what's called a measurement of uncertainty. It's a plus or minus differential. 
The plus or minus differential is different for every harvest batch. It's not a, you know, it's not a here's 0.3 and everything will be plus or minus 0.1. It's not the way that it works. What they do is uh, a licensed DEA agent or an agent licensed of the DEA, which believe are actually, believe it or not, are two different things, um, both of which sound really scary to anyone in this industry. When we first read the regulations, we're like, DEA? You don't want the DEA here? Okay, DEA's coming. They're going to come in and they're going to test this harvest batch, and they're going to do it 14 days before you have to harvest. So what that means is they come in on the first of the month, they take your samples, let's say they take six samples from plants, they're going to take it back to the DEA licensed lab as well, which is a new caveat. They're going to run some... Which are um, all backed up, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, labs out there will be able to go through a DEA accreditation process, which is fine. They'll get some licensing application fees out of it. Great. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But I agree with you. Don't back up the supply chain because we've seen that happen and it's a nightmare. There's only two in New York, ACT Labs at a Boston Spa and Wadsworth. And I just found out about ACT. And when I was at Morrisville and brought it up, how about half of the people in the room didn't know that ACT existed and was doing medical marijuana testing in New York? Hmm. Weird. You got to be your own advocate in here. Good research. Well done. Very good. So, okay. So in these, these DEA licensed labs, which are two of them in New York, and hopefully that gets, um, that number goes up, there will be what's called a measurement of uncertainty. So it's just a plus or minus. So for this will be a new piece of data tracking that has to take place as well is, you know, a batch could come in at 0.26 on the COA. You guys probably hear COA out there as well. It's called certificate of analysis. It's the regulatory testing that takes place on a, on a product. So let's say the, the THC is 0.26 and the measurement of uncertainty is, now let's do it a little different. Let's say it's 0.36. Scary, right? But the plus or minus ends up being 0.1 because the plus or minus of that 0.6, 0.3 lies within the middle. The batch is considered compliant. So there's going to have to be some math involved because it's involved with every harvest batch. That measurement of uncertainty is unique. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit nerdy, but it's different. It's different. And then, you know, if states like New York State Egg and Market, you know, the, the USDA bill requires all state plans to at minimum have the same requirements as the USDA plan. So New York State could come out, and they are, with their own plan, as other states are and have already submitted it. States have to submit their plan to the USDA for approval as well. Some states can elect not to come up with a plan. That's cool, too. And if that happens, those state uh, people within those states will default to the USDA plan. So no one can get excluded from that standpoint. But your state could make it illegal. They could decide to make it illegal and not enact a program at all. But they cannot stop interstate uh, transportation. They still got to let you drive through your state. I don't see. I don't see many states who will see that as a. Well, they'll take that road because this crop can just be used for a cover crop. It can be used just for rotation. It can be used as an agricultural piece. There's enough that's evidence out there that if a state really says no, then they're then they're really like. Somebody I agree. Needs to go down that. I think one or two will. We'll see. I think so. I, I hope they're not agricultural states at least, like not strong agricultural states at least. We'll see. 
But uh, I think there might be one or two that in the beginning say no. I think they might say no. But you still got to let them drive through your state, whether okay. you like it or not. What makes these states stubborn, do you think? is it? Mm. Have you had? Have you done panels in, in states that you would worry about? Have you been engaged to those states? Not usually because the, the conferences usually aren't in states that aren't pro-industry. Right, so they didn't even allow the conference in the first place to. It really wouldn't be there, right? It really wouldn't be there. It's very interesting, and it's very interesting when you do have these conferences in a non-consumption state. None of the attendees like it. They're not a fan. It's a different vibe. The whole conference scene in a consumption versus a non-consumption state is completely different. And I just don't mean from, you know, like a social standpoint, I mean, from a productive standpoint, and what gets done and what conversations are had, you can totally tell it's completely different. But we still got to go there because we got to help them get online. We still have to do it. It's part of the process. It's totally part of the process. Yep. Um, you talk about numbers, uh, what you've Program, we've talked about testing. I mean, is there is there something we haven't covered that you want to make sure it gets out there, either good or bad in the industry that maybe people should know about? Mm. That people should know about. I'll throw you for a loop because I'm the compliance chick, right? Yeah, love it. Okay. We use the laws to our advantage sometimes, right? So if any of you guys are ever flying out of LAX, LAX has come out with a fantastic sheet of paper letting you know how much product you can fly out with. Fly out with like 28 grams of constant or flour, whoa, 28 grams of flour roughly and around eight grams of concentrate. They have it on a little fact sheet because to them, it's like you're buying a souvenir and they want your tax money. Now on that same fact sheet, it tells you they cannot guarantee what happens to you in the state that you land in. So that part's up to you. But if any of you ever wanted, thought about taking some products somewhere because there's some good product out there, you know, you can feel a little bit more confident that you'll make it out. And I'm pretty confident you'll be okay when you land. But that's my little tidbit. I always laughed last year. I did a little more traveling last year. And I laughed and I basically said, there's TC in every airport in this country, in this world, basically, because it's in the concentrates and it's in the vaping. Mm -hmm. So I knew that somehow airports would get back on everybody and what i noticed is they basically cut smoking areas out of every airport yeah yeah they have they so have if you at once you are in the inner sanctum you basically have to go out of that inner sanctum to vape and then come back in through security again once you're within security it's hard to find spots now it is but there's a marketplace for that there are nice little tools that people can take into the airport bathroom with them and it's a nice <laughs> product and it sells well devil's advocate is in the room <laughs> Well, I got in this industry because I love the plants, right? I do. I think it's an amazing plant. I think it has amazing benefits. Um, I think it's made me a better person in my life. I think it's made me a better mom in my life. Um, and, and better, it, it, it's so many different things, 100%. I'd take a joint over a beer any day. And, and that's a good way to, to get to the end of this episode is talking just a little bit about the education. So we talked about the industry has to come together as team members, uh, all the other little nuggets, but we haven't talked about what the intention of this podcast is, for instance, and you doing these panels uh, and being paid as a, as a consultant, as I'm sure you are at times, and you're considered the expert in rooms of law enforcement. Um, what are we talking about? We're talking about, at the end of the day, education. Yeah, 100% education. That's really what it is, because we've been miseducated 
for many a years. There's some fantastic um, tools and resources. I mean, have you ever, I don't know if you've ever seen, it's called The Grass is Greener. It's on Netflix. It's documentary. Not yet. You should it check it on, out. Yeah, it's on my list, but yeah. Check it out. Anyone should check it out. If you really want to get a feel for how we got to where we are and having to end prohibition on this plant at all, it's a good one to check out. It, it reinforced me at one point in the industry as to why I'm here. Because like I said, it's not easy. You know, we're, it's not easy. We've even talked about advertising. You can't, advertising's not easy. Banking's not easy. Having a conversation with some people still is not easy because they're still not a fan. So there's a lot of it that's not easy, but it's the right thing to do. It's a plant. It needs to be accessible to people. And they definitely shouldn't be in jail for it, which we never even talked about. But I think we agree. <laughs> no, I mean, the decriminalization. And, and luckily, we do have politicians. Um, I know there's one New York City uh, Democrat. Um, I apologize. I don't know her name off the top of my head. Miss um, Peoples. Uh, I'm so mad. I don't have it off the top of my head. But anyways, there are the Democrats. Crystal Peoples. Yes, thank you. Crystal Peoples. Buffalo. Stokes. Yes, Buffalo. Oh, Buffalo. Yep. She's, she's Buffalo. working downstate hard mm-hmm. to make sure the tax dollars are going to these people that have been affected and impacted negatively on the streets. Um, so, yeah, she's phenomenal. I've, I've seen her once. Have you been on a panel with her ever? So I've spoken with her briefly a few times. I've not had the opportunity to be on a panel with her. I would love to have that opportunity um, sometime or anytime with anyone here. Like I said before, my goal is to help the state, right? I want to bring to the state everything that I was able to learn um, through the last five years because New York is a great opportunity. It really is. So... Hopefully we'll get there. Um, can we define something real quick? Panels. Mm-hmm. Um, we keep talking. We're not talking about panels on a wall. I guess no. we probably didn't describe well enough what... what all right, so um, Hemp Lab here in Rochester, Zach Sarkis, for instance, uh, and other people across the country, what they do is they try and bring leaders together, uh, and then they have neutral people that kind of come in to listen to these people, have discussions amongst each other. Explain a little bit about how these panels have been put together, how you get brought into it, and what the benefit are of them are. Yeah, so it's usually some experts in the industry... Um, Um, A lot of the times I feel like I'm just like, these people are so much more qualified than me. You know, I've been on panels with people with multiple PhDs and different levels of government and and things of that nature. But what we do is we get up, you know, in front of a room to uh, three to 500 people sometimes um, and just have the discussion kind of like we are right now and putting it out there for them so that they can understand and we can educate them on what we see. But it's all moving, right? It's a moving goalpost and people want to get into this industry. So we try and educate them and give them the best shot at making it. That's what the that's what the point is. It's a village. It takes a village in this industry. So we get up, we educate, we talk. And you know, the one I really want to do in New York that I've been thinking about, the Farm Bureau. I think that they should start to get a little bit more involved. And, and sometimes people don't know how to get involved. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be knocking on some doors in New York shortly. Um, I happen to know the person who will be running the Farm Bureau very soon. Great. So I can connect you with him. Let's talk about that. Yeah, huge. Okay. In New York, yeah. Um, Bob, anything we've missed that you is at your crowd right now? Just uh, a curiosity. Who organizes the voices of these panels? So it's usually whatever agent or not agency, agency and association are two different things. Um, but uh, whatever o- association. So like NCIA, that National Cannabis Industry Association, they're giant and they've done amazing things. So what they'll do is they'll go through and they'll source people. You know, the industry truly, it looks like on the headlines that it's giant. It's really not that big yet. 
It's really not. And you get known and certain people get known for certain things, but they'll go through and they'll vet people and, you know, they'll put people based on what the needs of the industry are right now. You'll look at panel topics over the years and how they've changed, right? The, The last six months, a lot of it's been around the vaping crisis and how certain standards and certain different types of regulations could have helped avoid things like that. So the topics and the experts required shift just like the industry does. It's pretty cool. And can people access these panels? Can Absolutely. They, can they, yeah. yeah, if you go on YouTube, NCIA, look it up. Um, even on their website, they have it. And all of these different agencies and, and associations that do run these conferences do usually make the educational material accessible to everybody. And when I'm talking these panels and discussions, there's 250 of these sometimes that take place over three to four days. Wow. Yeah. Yes. So just she keeps mentioning one, but there's also the Hemp Industry Association. Hemp industry, they're they, great. Yep. They did one in Albany that I attend. I've attended several of these. Um, uh, just for people to know, there's also uh, groups on, on the social medias, right? So uh, for one instance, there's the New York Hemp Growers and Processors uh, page on, on Facebook, um, which I, I am a part of. So that's how I heard about the SUNY Morrisville um, you know, you know, event. And that's where a lot of the events come through that way. And then you got a company like Zach Sarkis with Hemp Lab. So he put together uh, one here in Rochester and he used the city of Rochester to help promote it. Yeah, um, the so Rochester uh, uh, Chamber, Chamber of Commerce. Commerce. Yeah, Chamber yeah, of Commerce. Yeah, did that as well. And they work hand in hand with uh, the Rochester Chapter of Normal as well, which is a good avenue for people to get involved um, if they're looking to get involved. I know that there are multiple buses of people, not that you have to take a bus, but it's a fun ride. It's a, it's a great group of people going to Albany on the 28th of January. Um, it is an activism day in Albany for us to get legalization in New York and to get it right. Anyone can go. And if you haven't gone, um, just go to go experience it. Be part of building this industry because it's it's awesome. And it's an opportunity you don't want to look back on and wish you did. I'm glad and I'm glad you put that out there. I'll make sure that gets on the social media before that too. Um, Karen, thanks for your time. I know you're passing through. You're, you're a mother of two. You're a busy woman. Uh, I, I appreciate you and I look forward to our continued um, collaborations. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was great. I, I enjoyed the opportunity. All right. Thank you. Enjoy. Get out in this winter time and enjoy it, folks. In summertime, it's it's a different experience. Enjoy the winter time. You burn more calories quicker. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody.